0: opportunity to come before your throne honoring your word and loving you and loving all that you do for us appreciative father and thankful we thank you Lord and we bless you we ask you to come into our midst now and help us to understand what you want us to know today about your word about you about ourselves and where we're going in this earth. We thank you for your plan unfolding for us in Jesus' name. Amen. And praise God. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I debated as to what to name to give this sermon. I guess it started out one way and went another way. I said, oh, well, whatever we did. We'll call it no name. No, we won't. we got to give it a name. Um, I think we'll talk about the fact that God will make your name great. Okay? He will make your name great. Because he promises to do that for all of us. Amen. Our names are already great because they're written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But <clears throat> I thought to myself that there is a progression uh, in our development with God. and that If we continue in him, if we continue to walk with God, uh, we'll begin to see what he means when he talks about making our name great. I thought we'd go and look at the life of Abraham and see how God fulfilled this in Abraham's life. All the way from when he first spoke to him and called him out. God always calls us out. Amen. We call it being saved or being born again. You get called out of darkness into the light of God's dear Son. The light that Jesus has provided for all believers. And then as you walk with him, Jesus says, follow me. So we're all going somewhere. And we're going there by faith, not by sight. Whenever we start doing things by sight, we have ceased to follow the Lord. So we'll understand that you've gotten off the road, taken a detour, taken a fork in the road or whatever it is that we can call it. We have deviated uh, from the plan of God. We think it's difficult to walk by faith. It may be sometimes. But the important thing is when you find yourself not walking by faith, you reestablish faith again. It doesn't matter if you go off the road. What matters is you get back on. Because what counts in your life is the things that you do as you follow the Lord. Understand that God has a plan for everybody's life. It's a great plan. It's a good plan. It's a plan that was made for you before the earth got here. So the earth doesn't affect that plan one way or the other unless we allow it to. Uh, If you allow the affairs of earth to affect the plan of God in your life, uh, then you've been deceived or pulled off the plan. Uh, Your sin can't stop the plan of God. Because that's already been taken care of if you'll cooperate with God in confessing it. The um, circumstances of your life, things that happen, mishaps, accidents, uh, uh, relationships that go shipwreck, all those things, uh, none of that really affects the plan of God in your life. Amen? The plan came before the shipwreck. Amen? So the plan is greater. The plan is never deviated from because of the affairs of this earth. The plans come from heaven. And the plans will be carried out as we follow heaven's plan and we follow heaven's rules and heaven's laws. That's why the Bible tells us first to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, not self-righteousness, not the things that you hold dear and you think it's, you know, I like doing it this way or I've always done this or I was raised to think so and so. God didn't care about all that. Those are earthly things. What He cares about is that you care about Him and and His rules and seek His righteousness. Seek to be right before Him. What's important to God should come first place in our lives at all times. Uh, And once we start flowing in what's important to God then things will work out just fine. Amen. won't be without his struggles. won't be without challenges but it will work out. That's what you want. You want a plan that works out. So God had a plan for Abraham's life when He called him. God called Abraham, according to his word. He was looking for a man he could show himself strong on his behalf. He's not looking for the bright, the intelligent, the handsome, the you know, uh, winsome, the you know charismatic, or gifted, but he's looking for somebody that he can show himself strong on their behalf. Why? world is full of self-will people who think they got it together. God's looking for somebody who will humble themselves to his hand, let go of what they're doing, let go of what they think is important, and follow the Lord. So that's your first sacrifice to God, letting go of what you think is important in life, in ministry, sometimes people get in ministry and think it's all uh, all all stops are, or are pulled out. You know, it's all a go. Everything, you know, every open door, every invitation is an open door. They'll you see all kinds of crazy phrases like that handed down through church history. But that's not necessarily true unless God's spoken that to you. And told you to go through every open door. I wouldn't take it. I'd have to get a witness in my spirit that God opened that door for me. You know what I'm saying? Always take it out against the Holy Ghost. You don't need blanket permission to do anything. You just need to really understand that God has you here for a purpose. And you can trust him. So Abraham's purpose was laid out in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, and and so uh, we'll get to that. But, but one of the things you need to know about God's word, that once it is believed, it will come to pass. This is just some background about Abraham. Uh, He believed God, the Bible says, and it was counted to him as righteousness, but also that word, once it's a righteous word in the earth, and it's believed by a human, it will come to pass. Got me? There are some things that, that involve people that God must get people's faith involved in to bless the earth. We know that. So when Jesus needed food for the, uh, for the people who were following him, for the multitude, he, blessed, he took something that they had already. You take a seed from the earth, offer it up to heaven, and it comes back multiplied to bless the earth. It's a, it's a, a Bible law. God put seed in everything he created after its own kind. So it will produce after its own kind. So that God had to have bread, whatever they wanted. It had to be an edible in order for them to get food back. You got me? That's after its own kind. So let's let's understand that, okay? If you want good things from God, you got to plant righteous seed. You can't give God your castoffs. And have a bad spirit on your giving and expect to get what his word says you'll get. That that word promises a righteous result. Increases righteousness. Multiplication is righteousness. Good measure, press down, strengthen. That's righteous those are righteous terms. They don't come from earth. You can't find anybody that you will give something to Uh, or loan something to, and they say, well, I'll give you uh, uh, twice as much if you'll loan me that. You think it's a scam. They say, no, just give it back to me. You know, I just want my stuff back. You don't have to increase anything. You know, if people had stuff, they wouldn't be borrowing. Got me? So when you hear that from a human mouth, it's always good to be skeptical. So the only place that standard can come from is heaven. Amen? And so when God says He will increase and multiply things, those are righteous results, and He must have righteous seeds sown, which means we must believe. Faith is our righteousness. Believing God is what makes us right with Him. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So your faith, when it gets into the realm of the Spirit, translates over into righteousness, which means there's no stop on it. There's no penalty against it. There's no, it's always right. It's always absolutely the right thing to do when you believe God. So he takes that and in spiritual the spiritual results are that as if you never did anything wrong, it's 100% right prayer, it's a 100% right expectation. And so you have a right to expect God to give back exactly as his word says. And so when it says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, that gave him favor and right standing with God. That's your open door. That's your key to everything that you need when you put your eyes on those words in that Bible. You've got to mix it with your faith. You've got to be determined to believe it. You can't be skeptical. can't be critical. You can't be doubting. You must believe exactly as it is written. And so once you get into that, you understand that it's very easy to believe God for how he believes. Supernatural. Everything comes to us in in the way he says. He's not Uh, He's not shy about his promises. He's not exaggerating and going to switch it out for something that's easier for you to believe. That kind of thing. Uh, When you mix your faith with God's word, the end result is God's faith. Us plus God equals God. We're not in it anywhere anymore. It's all God's Thing. It's all God's faith. It's all God's responsibility to bring it to pass once it's believed. And we must keep believing. You can't believe once and then say, oh, well, you know, it didn't happen yet, and start doubting to think it's going to happen. You've got to shore up your faith with more of God's word. Hebrews 1.3 says he upholds the world with the word of his power. So if the world is being upheld, why should you doubt if the world crashed tomorrow, then you got reason to doubt God's word. But if one, one scripture is true, it's all true. He's not uh, being honest in one scripture and a liar in another one. It's all true all the time. He holds everything together by the word of his power. Once he says a thing, it is established because he is holy and without blame. Which means he doesn't have to correct himself because there's nothing to correct. So we shouldn't correct him either and say, Well, you know, I thought I thought God wanted this for me, but I'm too old. Or I thought God wanted this for me, but it's too late. Or I thought God wanted... You know, don't ever do that uh, with God's Word because if you start doing it in one area, you'll do it in some others. Because doubt is doubt. It'll start doubting all over the place. God is holy and without blame. If his word is believed, it will come to pass. His words do not fail. Amen. So he is, he is believable. You have to wage some war to believe. Now this is the other thing. You have to humble yourself when you're found lacking. Correct yourself in a repent before God and ask him to help you correct yourself and get back on the road again. It's like if your car broke down. You don't abandon your car because it won't start for you. You go find somebody that's got smarter than you about cars and you get it fixed. That's what we need to do with ourselves before God. God's smarter than us. Go find him and get it fixed. You know you've run off the road somewhere. You know you're losing hope in what God wants you, said he's going to do for you, you're weary, you're whatever, you just stepped off on the wrong road somewhere. So you need to repent and get back on the road and start believing God again. Everybody has to supply the faith lifeline to God. That's what your life depends on. You have to supply it yourself. When you find yourself doubting, correct yourself and go step in the faith line again. Amen. Other people cannot do this for you. You know, you, you've got to supply the faith. Now, ministers who are, are true to the Word of God will let you know when you're stepping off and you're trying to get somebody else to supply faith for you. You got me? So, you know, like if, if I tell people you got to talk to this, and uh, like I did with Miss Ingrid yesterday, she just forgot to talk to the symptom. And see, coming up to the altar to get me to pray for you is only going to last for a minute when it's your responsibility to speak to that. You want to be healed, that faith has to continually come through you. Now, people think that's mean. People get mad at me when I do that. They think, oh, well, she needs to pray for me, that's her job. It is my job to instruct you in the ways of righteousness. And this is something you can do you but your your mind is trained not to do it, so you're in training your mind to continually speak your to your body, speak the word of God. I have to remind myself you know there are days when I'll say, "Oh, I'm sick of this symptom, and when is this going to leave and blah, blah, blah. it's gonna leave when I get it together and Start talking to it continually. You got me? And so uh, God won't fail us. It's us who who have to be trained to, to do the things that we know will help us to get the results God wants us to get. Now, if it gets beyond you and you're not sure it's working, you come to the altar and we get a word from God and straighten it out again. But I'm telling you, once you have your answer, you must stick with your answer. If You know, in, increasing your faith and, and keeping your spirit strong in the Word of God is the way to go to get get healed. There is no other way. I, if there was something else to offer us, we'd have other things. Thank God, it's only one answer. Because if you stick with that, it'll get it'll happen. You don't have to guess which one to to go with today or how to get it. There's you know, only one answer. He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them. From the things that are destroying them, so you have to have to understand that when God gives His word, He means it. The devil's going to try everything he can to keep you from believing the word. He's going to tell you it's not working, but it is working. You just can't see it in the natural. So get over in the realm of the spirit where you can be reassured by God that it is working. Amen. So everybody has to supply his own faith lifeline to God. That's the line you need to pull that thing into your life. If it's healing, you need a faith life line in, in that by his stripes you are healed. Already healed. Well, why do I feel this way? I don't know. But I know you're healed. So which one are you going to believe? You're going to believe your feelings or are you going to believe the word? So that's what it amounts to. Peace calms the waters that your promise travels on. So if you look at your promises being in a boat, you got to tow it into your your harbor. Then you need peace about what you're doing. Turmoil always will distract you. So if your mind is confused and you think one day it is it not going to work, or you think one minute it's not helping, or this isn't—I'm saying I'm confessing this word and it's not doing anything. Already you're in unbelief. You got me. You you've killed your own faith. With your thoughts. So you got ways of a little warfare. Satan always kicks up a contrary wind to your promise. Guaranteed. Got me? So you can bank on him to come and do something. To distract you or discourage you. But you can maintain your hold on your peace to allow your promise to come safely into port. Intact. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. That's what peace means. So when you have the peace of God... As well, you use your faith, your your promise will come in whole, intact, nothing missing, nothing broken. Amen. So hold on to your faith at all costs. Let your pride go, and you will be able to come safely into the promise of God, no matter how large it is, no matter how crazy it seems. How no matter you know what I'm saying. No matter what the cost is. Uh, will always come safely uh, into port. Um, God always brings it to pass. And uh, somebody counted the phrase, and it came to pass in the Bible, uh, uh, 396 times in the King James, and it came to pass. Uh, even more if you drop the word and. <laughs> you know, just say it came to pass. It's about 500, 450 or 500 times. So God keeps his promises. Why do we doubt? Because we don't have any experience in with God. You doubt because of your, your um, immaturity, uh, uh, inability to believe, lack of experience with God. And the only kind of experience you'll ever have with him is a faith experience. So you've got to step out in faith somewhere in order to even get experience with God to get to the point where you get assured that you know. So you've got to step out somewhere. The first place we stepped out was in salvation. And salvation's kind of a funny thing because we don't really have to have now faith for that. Because if you, if you understand salvation is going to heaven when you die, if you're not close to death, it's really not that important. But if you think of salvation as healing, deliverance, power with God, all of the things that it really is, then it's going to challenge you to start believing God for that stuff to come to pass. See what I'm saying? So we can all say we believe we're going to heaven and feel just fine about it. Like I'll, I'll speak with people that that I've known over the years, and some people I, I get concerned when I don't see their children walking with God. And I'm thinking, and if I know them and know their prayer life, and I'll say, well, well, what about your kids? Why don't we start believing God to get them in? You know, yeah. Oh, I believe. Well, they confessed Christ when they were little, and I, you know, they get that that stiff neck that arch in their back and get defensive and I'm thinking to myself but they could be enjoying life in God now they could be they could be worshiping God they could be walking in faith don't you think God has a plan for their lives as any of them call to the ministry maybe or call to pray for their own sick children or anything like that and so it's it's a little Catholic in the way a lot of people believe about salvation Is you know just make sure you call a priest when you know it's time. Well, I suppose we don't know that. Well, God will take care of it. I just know he'll take care of it. Well, whatever. But you could be living for God every day. Or do you, do you yet like your sin? And if you yet like your sin, I'm doubting you really are saved. You got me? You just have to put it that way. Because when people are born again, there is a change. There's a noticeable change. And they're, they are concerned about the everyday things of this life. They want to see God intervene in things. It's a noticeable difference than just being in that heavenly holding pattern that we tend to call salvation when we don't really understand what salvation or being born again is. A lot of times people who aren't familiar with the word feel that way. Uh, you know, they want to feel secure. They want to... Feel it's okay if you look and see your children living for the devil and not serving God. You want to feel like they're going to heaven one day. You don't want to face that that may not be true, you know. And you can say they're called to be saved and God will take care of it. But what? A, isn't there something you can do? Don't you long to see them free of trouble you know living for God living a holy life and all that that implies you know that we got to start understanding that the, don't put it off for one day today is the day of salvation now's the appointed time now, I remember brother Hagen having people in his family and and uh, was he said pretty much all of them were saved except for this one and and I kept asking God to save him, and God said, that, Well, you know, I've already saved your whole household. He said, That's not the way to get him saved. He said, Ask me to put laborers into his path. You now, people around him that'll speak to him. If you can't witness to him, I got somebody who can, so expect me to finish the job. Amen. And he said, Like less than a month, that guy was saved. God sent somebody to start talking to him, and he found out he was back. In church, I saw psalm carried a Bible one time, etc. that's what you, you want salvation. You want them to know God like you do, if not better, you know So anyway, God wants to uh, be Lord of everything in our lives. As I said, He will make your name great. What does that mean? That means that God will give you a name in the earth that will draw attention to you. people will look up to you. And God also honors you. That's what being great is as far as God is concerned. Being great means being trustworthy, being open to the things of God, being open to expand your vision of who you are, and, and passing every God-given test on that, that issue. So Abraham, in Genesis 12, verse 1, we can start there now. Abraham has an interesting story because as a patriarch, his faith was left in the earth for us to receive. So just like, say for instance, um, inventions are carried down from generation to generation. Like when people first started to cook their meat or something like that or cook food, once they understood that it, it was better if you put some heat to it, That got passed down from generation to generation. Why? Because there was faith in that. There was faith in that this is the way to live life and live it well. From just the process of cooking, the process of food preservation developed. So that initial faith that people had developed the whole process to now where we have food processing plants. They can uh, freeze food. They can can it. They can uh, <clears throat> freeze dry it. They can dry it and shrink it. They can salt it and smoke it and do all of these things that preserve food. Why do you want to preserve it? Because you don't know if you're going to have it the next day because there's the way the earth is. So You don't know if a well is going to dry up. That's why you bottle water. You don't know if you're... Uh, Your food supply, your source, if if there's uh, a drought and the animals aren't there, the plants aren't there. So man has to learn how to do these things so that he can survive. And it's the same thing with faith. Faith is our main means of survival in the earth. And that's why when it comes to a person in the earth, God sees it as an inheritance for all humanity who will believe. So the faith of Abraham, that's why the Bible says those who are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. This is a cumulative faith in the earth. It's like the stories in the Bible. God kept that record so we have something for our faith to latch on to when we come into faith. The faith for uh, for, uh, redemption and salvation came with Jesus Christ. So there's a record that faith started with Abraham. And it was handed down from generation to generation through the Jewish people who are his natural descendants until they get to Christ. And then because he has no natural children, he leaves his inheritance to those spiritual children who would believe the word of God. So Abraham had a, a natural inheritance. But he also could bring people into covenant with him through circumcision. So it was a natural base, but it also would pull others in other than people of his race. You got me? So those who believed and submitted to circumcision were included as God's family into the old covenant. That's been done away with. So those who are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham because the natural as well as the spiritual inheritance must come together in Jesus Christ. Jesus was the natural heir of Abraham, so all of the natural promises, you're blessed coming in and going out. That's why you can pick up that Old Testament and you can read it and receive what it says. Because Jesus, being the last seed of Abraham, blessed us with a natural and a spiritual inheritance. He has to leave us something. The fact that Jesus didn't have an earthly wife and was not married means nothing as far as Abraham's natural inheritance is concerned. That's why people who always believe that if you have wealth as a Christian, it would come in heaven, they're not believing they're, they're blessed with Abraham. Because if you have Abraham's blessings, you got natural stuff. So the natural blessings are taken care of through that inheritance. And you have spiritual blessings because you're believing in his last heir who is Jesus Christ. You got me? To get both. Um, People try to separate one out better than the other. Don't do that. Just, you know, you need so much stuff, you can't say one's better than the other one. You got me? You don't have to do that. Why would you have to compare when God's given you all things that pertain to life and godliness? So the life side is the Abraham natural inheritance side, the godliness is the Christ side. So when you put them together in Jesus Christ, you can command natural blessings into the earth by your faith because your father Abraham had that. And you're entitled to it as his heir. We are heirs by faith, not by bloodline. Amen? We have a higher bloodline than what the Jew has. That's why the Jew still needs to believe Christ. Now, Don't tell me they don't believe in natural side blessings. Them people can get out of any jam they ever want to get in over there. They would get to places in Israel where nothing would grow. And then somebody in the science community will say, well, why don't we try this? And pretty soon they had a whole grove of anything that they wanted and plenty of it. That's why so many. The, that's why the Arab community is trying to press in on Israel because they have so much. People got wealth, got ideas, medical, and and then they're able to bless the Gentile or the non-Jew. You know, they'll accumulate wealth, and now we got too much. Let's build a hospital, or let's build a school, or let's endow a chair somewhere. Let's do this, do that because they still have faith for the natural side blessing of Abraham and which we need to come into more we could do more with the gospel if we had more of that understanding of having that dual inheritance the spiritual and the natural through Jesus Christ Jesus brought the natural with him even though he's commanding it in a spiritual way so in Genesis chapter 12 we see Abraham leaving his homeland, which was a command of God, is not a suggestion. I wish I could get more people to understand that God isn't wishy-washy about where he wants you to go, or where he wants you to live, or what he wants you to do with your life. These are commands. And so he tells him, he says, get out, go, leave, leave everybody, leave your folks." In other words, what God is saying to Abraham is, I am going to give you something new. He never takes what he doesn't give. He will never leave you bankrupt. He will never leave you bereft. He will never leave you to your last penny. He will never leave you. He just won't. man. It's always a trade up. He's going to give you something greater. Because what you have is not is not fitting the bill anyway. You see how quickly Abraham left it. He said, okay. <laughs> you know, I thought it was cool here, but if you got something, if I'm trading up, I'm going. And so he said, get out of your country from your kindred, your father's house into a land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. Bless you. Make your name great. First promise, and you shall be a blessing. And this is a huge promise. What God is giving him here, he says, I'm taking care of your life. And and when I do that, the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to make you a great man. I'm going to multiply you, increase you. People will know who you are. You'll be respected, all of that. I will bless them that bless you, curse them that curse you, or fight with them that fight with you. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that's a mouthful. And what that took, that took the rest of the books of the Bible to fulfill. Just that promise. Just that little bit. So when we get one word from God... We're always looking for another prophecy. Why don't you let that one work? I mean, work that for all that's in it first before you go looking for something else. Like, forget that one and go on to something better is what people tend to do. They shop, and we should never do that. The Word of God is precious. I know it it gets to be to where we think it's not so much because it's, it's a common thing now. But it is precious. The Word of the Lord is precious. So Abraham believed God. He got out of town. It says in verse 8, he removed from there and he journeyed on going toward the south. And then in verse 10, there was a famine in the land and he went down to Egypt to sojourn there. So put it this way. When you get a promise from God, it takes you a certain distance in life. And then you need to either restore that, refresh that promise, re- refresh that understanding, or seek God for direction when you run into a problem on the path that he sent you on. So thus far Abraham has followed God and done what God told him to do, but we've got a problem problem is I can't be blessed if there's famine here. I can't survive. I can't live. There's no food. There's no nothing. And he said uh, there was a famine and he went down to Egypt. There was a famine and he went. There was a famine and he went. I had an unexpected bill and I worried. And I thought to myself, maybe I can ask so-and-so for money. Got me? So we all do this. We run into a problem where we're at in life and we start searching for our own answer. That's all that happened to Abraham. He looked for his own answer instead of petitioning God and asking God to supply the answer. Now... The answer did come eventually because God cannot deny himself. He didn't mistake, make a mistake in sending Abraham to journey and, and go where he went. To, he left Ur of the Chaldees and he went to the land of Canaan. It looks to natural eyes, well, he, when he got there, there was no food. God did not make a mistake in leading him there. God led him there with a promise that he would take care of him. But the answer is here. But it's going to take another generation before that answer gets revealed to his son Isaac. Remember, Isaac was in a famine the same way, and God said, Don't go, I'm going to bless you right where you are. The one thing Abraham did not understand was that the blessing was on him, he wasn't chasing it somewhere else. When God says, I will bless you, the blessing's on you, it has to be released. In a certain way, by faith. So, what Abraham should have done, what Isaac did, Abraham should have said, God, what do I do now? Because there's no food here where I am. And God would have told him the same thing he told Isaac sow in here, even though it's famine, I want you to sow. And Isaac received a hundredfold return in that year. That whole trip to Egypt was totally unnecessary because you see the fruit of living out of your own wits. Amen. The fruit of living out of your own ideas will get you or somebody else in trouble or in jeopardy. And so Abraham goes down there and plays. the, you know the story plays with Sarah as his sister. Gives her because she's a beautiful woman because God has kept her youth and kept her beauty for His purposes. Sometimes we think we're just cute because we got good genes or you know whatever. Whatever you know, we put in a lot of stuff, but God does it for His reasons. Amen. Mostly because we stand in the mirror. I renew mean, you, <laughs> mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Can I go and vogue somewhere? You know what I'm saying. we stay in that word like a mirror sometimes, shopping for good things, you know, change these genetics. I'm have my parents' genes. I'm a son of God, all that kind of stuff but but God will answer and respond uh out of the the purity of our hearts but also you know if we ask him for certain things there's no problem with him he'll give them to us you know what I'm saying and so God will do those things that we ask him to do and so he kept Sarah's youth for a a reason it was a reason for that Uh, and it wasn't to get Abraham in trouble which is how he took it you know Um, sometimes men you know I've seen it in my life men that get the cutest girl at the prom or something like that after a while she's got six kids and barefoot all the time Why? Wow, it's the only way he feels he can keep her and that let, let that go in one end or out the other but that's what I'm that's the way I'm sizing it up yeah that's right keep at home wow. you know men are funny like that you, they don't tell you the truth about stuff like that but they all into that stuff women too to a certain degree you know They'll do a cat fight on you in a minute. About a man. And
1: my man. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. We all got one. Whatever. Anyways, um, so anyway. And so um, they paid Abraham for his wife. Verse 16. The princess of Pharaoh saw Sarah and she stood out. So this is step one of making Abraham's name great. God has to fulfill that promise at some point. So it works out that while God is releasing a great name to Abraham, he's in a place where God does not want him to be. But God cannot deny himself, he has to keep his word. Now, see, to the carnal mind, we think, oh, how could God. Abraham's doing. It. Abraham wasn't told. Not to play fishy fishy with his wife no more. Just like most of us were, weren't told specific sins we had to get rid of to please God. Or they'd be gone by now, wouldn't they? Hello. So that's true for everybody. And so God begins to help Abraham to know his ways. But you can't throw a whole tablet at one person at one time just because just the way he doesn't do that with us either you got me Uh, we walk by faith that these problems will be eradicated but they're not always issues to god you ever know somebody that really bugs you something about it bugs you well god why don't you stop that you can't make god straighten somebody else up so you'll like them better I'm going to say it again. You can't make God straighten somebody out so you will like them better. Or we would all be one another's puppets down here. And God you, God wouldn't be God. You'd be God. And so many times God will leave people alone because they bug you so much. And then you got to learn how to love people even with their faults. Just like we love you with yours. Amen? Well, we all in the same boat down here. Loving one another in spite of all of that. But it's got to be love. And then, then we learn about the love of God. Love of God ain't bugged by people's bad habits. <laughs> Yours either. That way you won't let your bad habits bug you and get you defeated either. Because that thing can work both ways. So it says here, verse 16, he entreated Abraham well for Sarah's sake. He had sheep, oxen. He gave Abraham all kinds of stuff. God, Abraham was slated for that blessing. Let me tell you why. Had he stayed in Canaan, had he sown in the midst of famine, all this would have been his. It was on the schedule for him to receive at this time. Because of the of the obedience that he had done up until that time. See, we think in our carnal minds that we've obeyed God up until this time. We do one thing and it cancels everything out. Don't shout me now, okay? Because that's true. And we believe it in other people's lives too. Because we will see somebody, observe them, do one thing wrong... And we negate everything else they've done correctly up until this time. And so that's a double-edged sword that will cut us. If we keep letting it cut other people, it's cutting us too. And it will diminish your faith because you'll get discouraged of what you consider doing right and just quit doing things. We'll walk off and won't do anything else for God because you let the devil convince you when it's all over the Bible. I mean, you see people in the Bible get blessed left and right, and they sin left and right. This is the way humanity is. This is the human condition. We do wrong, we repent, we get up, and because he remembers it no more, he doesn't hold it against our account, and the blessing gets released. You see that right here. There's no way Abraham should have traded his wife in for a bunch of stuff. But he did. I mean, that's what it resulted in. Number one, he was trying to preserve life. That's not wrong. He was just doing it in a carnal way because that's all he knew. He didn't know God well enough to know That God could take a famine and for one person with a blessing on him, turn it around and make that land prosper. So if he had stayed in, in, in Canaan land and sown and worked the land, all this stuff would have been his anyway. It just would have come to him by the obedience of God. God could supernaturally produce crops, supernaturally produce cattle, supernaturally produce All of those things, he could have kept Canaan alive and prospering by obeying God. So we have to learn these things. We have to learn the blessing is on us. You're not running like you see all these people leaving uh, places, going here. Oh, there are no jobs here anymore. I got to run down here, and because they've got jobs down here, well, that's nonsense. It's nonsense. If you if you think you're running, finding blessings, you don't even believe the basic Bible. Deuteronomy tells you all these blessings will what? Come upon you and overtake you. So somewhere God's releasing blessings and they're going to run you down right where you are. But if you don't believe that word and you think God lied to you and you got to run off and find a blessing, guess what? It won't be there when you get there. You have to work twice as hard. Or you'll be like Abraham, you'll live off your, the fruit of your prior obedience until that runs out. Got me? And it'll run out. Like I see uh, people who are, you know, they think they can figure God out. You know, as a, oh well, uh, Pastor Barb, I, I haven't been able to get to church, but I still want to keep a prayer partner. I say, if you think you're slicking God, you got another thought coming. You can choose what parts of the Bible you want, and believe you still get blessed because you're praying with somebody. Now that's the height of deception. You understand what I'm saying? It's nonsense. If God wanted partial obedience, none of us would be here. We'd all find something we like doing more than coming to church. And trust me, many people have. And they're barely making a struggle. They strain. They barely can feed themselves, but they get too much pride to humble themselves and go back to the house of God. So Abraham is here, and he's out here in Egypt. He's just going a day at a time. He's probably got a lot of fear. He feared from the beginning, because he had a nice-looking wife, that some man would kill him for her. So he tells he divorces Sarah. Verbally between the two of them and decide to play brother and sister because, well, actually, she is my half-sister, so... But she's my wife, too. She's my sister, my wife. I remember a movie like that. Well, no. Um, let me go back. Shake that off. <laughs> but anyway, um... Uh, um what was I saying? <laughs> yeah, right. Confused. That's what it is. He's confused about who she is. And and confusion is never from God. I mean, you don't have to resort to your own devices to either protect yourself, to put food on the table. So all you got to do is, is offer that, that request up to God and see what God will do. Amen. Amen. And so Abraham knew that he could build an an altar and make an offering and request from God, but he failed to do it. He just did what he saw everybody else doing because he panicked inside. Who hasn't panicked inside? And so in verse 17 it says, The Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. Now, the great plagues really resulted in impotence in in the men there. So God did not want any man taking Sarah as his wife because he, she belonged to Abraham. So he's doing that not only to protect her, but protect their future. Amen. And so Pharaoh called Abraham and says, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she is your wife? So now the truth is out. I don't know who outed Abraham, but anyway, probably one of them magicians or somebody figured it out, told, told the Pharaoh. And he says, she is my why would you say she's my sister? He said, I might have taken her to my wife. He said, now therefore, take your wife, go your way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. They sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Well, if Egypt was going to be where they, they were supposed to stay, why would they get kicked out? Hmm. sometimes we get kicked out of places and we don't understand it. Well, I, was, I was happy here. Everything was going well for me and then all of a sudden this happened. And we'll blame the devil when it's really God getting you where you're supposed to be. He wants to bless you. He can't bless you in a place that's not on the schedule for you to be in. Huh? So... God keeps his word to Abraham. Whatever you're on schedule for, you're going to get at the appointed time. I don't care where you are. I see people quit coming to church, leave the ministry, and they're okay for maybe a year, two years, sometimes longer than that. You know, they're living off seed they planted in the past, but they're not sowing any seed currently. I think you can sit sit at home on Saturday and Sunday and have the same blessing you had when you were sowing seed on those days? First thing to go usually is the health. You used to walk in divine health, now you got health problems. No. Okay, you take a little pill for that. Next thing to go is their money. And they don't understand it's because of the law of sowing and reaping. So, you know, many times people can be in the land of plenty and not even have a clue as to how plenty is coming to them. They have no clue. Yet they think they're smart enough to abandon God and the harvest field that they've been sowing in and still be okay. Well, just because God hasn't pulled a rug out from under you and the world hasn't come to an end, the ceiling didn't collapse, that doesn't mean you're pleasing him with your life. That means you're taking chances. And so we have to understand that God demands we follow him continually if the blessing is going to stay on us. Amen. And so when you don't follow him continually, you're living on crumbs like the woman uh, with the, the sick daughter. Dogs get crumbs from the table. A lot of people don't want to sit at God's table and receive. They'd rather live off crumbs. Mm -hmm. I mean, obedience gets you a seat at the table. You're doing what God tells you to do. You have a seat at the table. Which means that he is your portion. The blessings are, are ordered. They're brought to you. If you're at the Father's table, there are servants serving you. The angels of God are bringing your blessings to you. But if you're not at the Father's table, you're living off crumbs. You're living off what those who sit at the table provide for you through their prayers, through their compassion towards you, through them not letting you just get lost out into the world. Don't get me started on that, folks. But people are deceived. They think if the worst hasn't happened, I don't know what they think God does to covenant children. And what do you do to your kids? You wish they would obey so that they could live better, but if they refuse to, but you never divorce yourself as being their parent. And that's what we have with God. There are many people that don't want to sit at Father's table because they just don't want to, whatever reason. Either don't feel worthy want to do their own thing, don't trust the Father, think there's something else they want to do. He never gave me anything when I was in that church anyway. None of them other people got their answers. I never got any. Bad-mouthing God got a wrong concept of who he is. We're talking about a holy God. We're not talking about somebody who has something against you. Why would he create you and have something against you? No one will say anything and think anything about God. So we have to correct that. We have to understand that if anything's wrong in the situation, it ain't him. Huh? It's not him. So we eliminate God as the perpetrator. Then we only got two people. That's us and the devil. Which one you want to <laughs> And you got him under your feet. So what's the problem here? Huh? So chapter 13, then Abraham uh, leaves. Egypt, verse 2, it says, And Abraham was very rich in cattle, silver, gold. So God begins to add to his wealth, which when he left left Egypt, that wealth started to come on him in a greater fashion. It started in Egypt, because that was the season for his blessing to be released into his life, even though he was in the wrong place. He got a portion of it there. Now, what did the Pharaoh give him? Up in verse 16, sheep, ox, asses, men servants, maid servants, she asses, and camels. But down here in 13:2, he's got silver and gold added to what he had back in Egypt, so as not to confuse him into thinking that his plan for his life in Egypt came to pass the way it was supposed to. God always adds to it when we get in obedience. He was in disobedience before. And that blessing fell on him. When he got in obedience, he began to prosper. There is a difference between a blessing falling into your hands and you prospering. When you get in obedience, that's when you prosper. He was fed in Egypt. He received a smattering of his blessing in Egypt, but he began to prosper when he got back into the will of God. So prosperity always requires obedience to the will of God people move around too much sometimes. They think if I go here, well, it's going to be, we, 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 we went there, we started a church down there. And yeah, and then I said, what happened? Who's in charge of the church now, apostle? Oh, well, uh, no church there anymore. That's not prosperity. You started a work, it lasted for a minute, and then it failed. God should have got your attention there. You should have stopped what you were doing and say, God, you don't give us anything to start and stop. We're supposed to produce fruit that remains. It lasts forever. Now, we can have some of that, but if you don't have that across the board, you got to correct some things. I wouldn't want some fruit that's lasting and some that's bad, would you? It is possible to get all good fruit. Amen. And so people repeat this cycle over and over and over again. Set out. God's with me. I'm going to do this. And it's blessed for a while. If you set your hand to it, it's going to prosper up to a point. And that's the point that God says, nope, I'm going to get you where I want you to be. So there's there's a will for us that is the will of God. There's a place for us he wants us to be. And that's the only place that's going to work for us. If it's too easy on your flesh, question whether you're in the right place. Because we're there to make a difference. We're there to make headway. We're there to plant some things of his kingdom. We're not there to just suck up all the good stuff all the time. You understand what I'm saying? And so it, it, we, we have to understand that there will be challenges that will come up. But God is establishing his kingdom in places. See, in Canaan, that's where God told Abraham that it would be a land that he would show you where your, your, all your descendants would be blessed. And Abraham never questioned, is this where I'm supposed to be, God? Or he, he just figured he'd keep going, looking in the natural. Now God stopped him and shown him that he needs to to question now. And so Abraham went on his journeys and he uh, journeyed in that same land, you know, places close to Canaan. He began to call on the name of the Lord. And in that situation, Lot began to prosper from Abraham's overflow. So you can see Egypt was not the place for him. It's clear to Abraham now. Uh, I was scared there. I had to lie there. Uh, they gave me some stuff and made me leave. And so I had to follow God. Got me? There would be some places. Listen, I've been kicked out of churches before. Sometimes you can learn up to the point that, that they can teach you, and then it's time to move. If it's time to move, God will just get you out of here. He'll bounce you. You got me. You don't have to bounce yourself. He will bounce you. It is not the place for you. Sometimes you'll leave a church or leave a ministry and you find out years later the the pastor got in trouble. You know, it's been going on for years. You know, that kind of stuff. And God bounced you. And your feelings got hurt because people didn't want you there anymore, but you got bounced. And so God always sees The end from the beginning. He sees it at the beginning. At the beginning of your walk with him, he sees everything that's going to happen to you. And he's constantly moving us and directing us. So Abraham and Lot have so much cattle and stuff that they don't have enough land to graze everything. So Abraham told Lot to choose. Where do you want to be? If you want to stay here where we are, I'll let you have this. But if you want to pick something better, you go ahead and take that. But we need to separate because we can't get along anymore. And that will always happen when you start connecting with people God told you not to. Separation will have to come. Lot choose, in verse 11, all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and separated themselves from one another. And Abraham stayed where? In the land of Canaan. Lot could not have chosen Canaan. Because it wasn't for him. God wouldn't let him. He reaffirms to Abraham. Even though Abraham says, You choose, Lot. choice is yours. That land of Canaan was locked up for Abraham and his physical descendants. Not nephew, Lot. me? And so God will start to clean up. His promise to you, he'll start to eliminate things out that don't help and that you're not commanded to be uh, in in communication with and in charge of. So then he travels on and then trouble breaks out. And Abraham in, in chapter 14 decides that he wants to intervene for his nephew Lot so you see, Abraham, this is the second time his name is being made great. First time was where in Egypt, even though it was great in a not so nice way, huh? He was great in the eyes of Pharaoh, Pharaoh gave him all kinds of gifts. And all of that stuff first in exchange for his wife and then later because he was the prophet of God. And God had warned them and shook their lives up not to intervene with these people. He knew they were holy people. So he was allowed to let go and and serve his life. And so even though your name is great sometimes and it's not a real pure sense, it's great anyway. Because God promised to make him stand out. When he makes you great, you stand out among men. And so here we go, Abraham again, in this rescue of Lot. And there was a a war that went out. Uh, uh, um, uh, Lot chose the land of Sodom to go and live in. And that's where he lives. But Sodom was such a wicked city that they were being captured by many, many kings over and over again. So this last capture of Sodom they take everything that the king of Sodom has and Lot included. So Lot is taken as a hostage to the person who captured Sodom. And so it says in 14:14 when Abraham heard that or Abram heard that his brother Lot was taken captive he armed his trained servants born in his own house 318 So here we have Abraham having a household army. So he's become a nation in every way because a nation can provide for many souls, a nation can allow for growth. A nation can allow for expansion. So already, and they have uh, protection. They have ability to defend themselves. So Abraham has developed not just from Abraham and Sarah and Lot in a little household, but now he's developed into a small city, you could say, or a community or a tribe or village without any descendants of his own. And he divided himself against them. Verse 14, it says, He armed his own trained servants, 318, and pursued them to Dan. Divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night and smote them, pursued them. And and he brought back, in verse 16, all the goods and his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. So he becomes a rescuer of a nation of people. Because God has made his name great and he is fighting those who fight him. And he's going to bless those who bless them. So you see God keeping his word to Abraham. Even though Abraham doesn't do everything perfectly, we know that. That goes without saying. That's not why God blesses us. He blesses us because he promised him for the sake of his name. King of Sodom went out to meet them after his return from the slaughter of those kings. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine and was the priest of the Most High God. So here his name is even greater. He's great with man because he's conquered them. And he's great with God because God sends a priest to bless him and minister over what he has done. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered thine enemies into thy hands. So here we have God keeping his word again. And Abraham gave him tithes of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons and take the goods to yourself. Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted up my hand unto the Lord. In other words, I've sworn to God, the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. (laughs) He says, like, you know, listen, I got the possessor of heaven and earth fighting for me. What do I need with your stuff? This is the way we should view life, folks. We've got the possessor of heaven and earth promising to take care of us. What do we need with man's goods? What do we need with man's help? What do we need with anything? And he says, I will not take a thread, verse 23, even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is yours, because you'll start to say, I made a rambridge. In other words... Abraham said, I will never t- trade in a heavenly blessing for an earthly blessing. Abraham knows for sure that God's made him rich. Even when he got that stuff from the king, from the Pharaoh down in Egypt, God straightened him out on that. A lot of times we got to get straightened out on where blessings come from because we will be constantly dependent upon man we be constantly dependent upon an earthly source, but Abraham figured it out. Because when he renounced the king of Sodom, he broke ties totally with sin, iniquity, and anything related to that. Because he understood that I have the highest blessing I could ever get right now in my life, and I don't need to tie myself up with anybody earthly. Got me? A man of lesser character would have taken both. Hmm? We got preachers like that. They don't care where their blessing comes from. They, you know, just send it in. Yeah, they got a way to rationalize everything. Hmm? There's a, a gentleman now, young guy, has got a church. He's a pastor to somebody who's a... a, a Um, um, entertainer a very uh, you know popular entertainer among young people I would send that young boy packing if he couldn't come to services and get you know uh, but I've seen it over and over again when I was in a church many years ago there was a, a professional ball player that wanted to come to church the pastor catered to him. He had private Bible studies with him. He would do all of these things. See, God says clearly in the Bible, if somebody comes in your your congregation, somebody got nice clothes, somebody had raggedy clothes, you don't cater one. Because in God, there is no respect of persons. So when you start respecting personhood, that means that you've renounced God as your only source. You think these people can do something for you. You see people in Hollywood, the actors that that live holy go to a certain pastor's church, and the ones that live roughshod go where they want to. You got me? Jack Hayford, little church on the way. He got Pat Boone. He's got Diane Cannon in there, and he lays down the law to everybody. You don't play around. We don't hear about you doing X, Y, and Z, you know, stuff. They all do Hallmark movies, and they don't do movies cussing, drinking, and all that kind of stuff. You got me? And there are other actors out there. They go other places where they're given permission. See what I'm saying? If the possessor of heaven and earth blesses you and you have a covenant with him, you don't need to compromise with man. That's why Abraham didn't take not one thing from the king of Solomon. He said, I don't want your dirty money. I don't want your dirty nothing. He says, I'm just saying, allow those young men who maybe had your provision while they were out there fighting. You know, will allow that. And that's the end of it. I don't take anything from you. And so they were, uh, he said, in verse 24, only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men that went with me. And, and let them take their portion and and then that's it. You know, those were the spoils of war. The ones who fought were entitled to it. He didn't want to didn't want to cheat them out of what they felt was rightfully theirs that's the way things were done but abraham said as for me uh i don't want it don't need it i've been blessed by the highest right now through his priest what do i need your stuff for see when you're blessed by the highest by the priest of the most high god you don't need an earthly stuff are you kidding me the blessings are you can produce what the king of, Saul of Sodom has 50-fold if you need it to. Why would you take anything from a lesser person? This is going to be important later on when Abraham's name becomes great with God. Because, because Abraham renounced that tie with Sodom, then God will have to honor his prayer about Sodom. If Abraham had made a tie with Sodom, God would have killed everybody there, Lot included, no questions asked. But because he has somebody on earth who lives pure and lives for him, he can get an intercessor who will intercede for the few righteous people who are left in that town. got me? So this is how we keep ourselves pure. This is how we keep ourselves holy. This is how we keep ourselves righteous. Got me? When God needs you to disconnect from people, he will disconnect you. And he will find you a way to still prosper and still be blessed. He won't disconnect you from a life source that you know you have to depend on. So, <clears throat> so Abraham goes on with God, folks. He goes on with God. Um, let me see the next place we want to go to. I think in in uh, we did the Battle of Sodom and then over in uh chapter fifteen, Abraham then reestablishes his covenant with God. He uh he begins to question God, What what are you gonna do for me? He said you're gonna give me kids, I don't have any yet. That is a perfectly legitimate question to ask when you're asking in faith. If you're asking, complaining, you won't get an answer. Not from God. You know, you get the same old backlash in your head. You know, is God? What's going on here? Is this ever going to happen for me? And he's, yeah, whatever. And and he starts to to uh, questioning God. In verse four, God says, "Behold, the Lord came to him. This shall not be your heir." He keeps saying, "I'm gonna have to leave all my stuff to this uh, man who's just my servant. I want to leave it to." an heir, like you said. Where the Lord came to him, this shall not be your heir. He that shall come forth out of your own bowels shall be your heir. And he told him, Look up in the sky he sky, he reaffirms his original promise. God seldom will take you on a different road than you've been, especially if it's been successful. And if you've been messing up the whole time, he needs need to get you on the right road. But if he's you've seen success on it then he will oftentimes reiterate what he's told you because he sees you're losing faith in it. Got me? he have to tell you again. He says in verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So now Abraham can look up or look down and be reminded of the promise of God. That's the way we need to live. Everywhere you look, you get reminded of the promise of God. First he told him, your kids will number as the uh, sand on the seashore. You'll have that many children. Then he says, look up in the sky. You'll have that many kids. So everywhere everywhere Abraham looks in nature, he sees the promise of God. Oh, yeah, those are my kids. Oh, yeah, let me remind myself. Yeah, yeah. And so verse 8, he says, how shall I know I'll inherit And he said, we'll cut a blood covenant. Take me a, an animal three years old, a goat three years old, and so forth and so on. And he took all of these and divided them, and then, then uh, uh, God shows up after a deep sleep falls on Abraham. So Abraham has no idea what happened while he was asleep. And that's a, a picture of Christ coming. The pre-incarnate Christ, which people saw in types and shadows and and things they call theophanies, that is, pictures of God. So here's a theophany of Christ, but Abraham is asleep, not knowing what's happening to him. Remember the last guy he put to sleep? Huh? We don't know if he took a rib out of his side. He didn't. But but what he does in, in this thing, it's the secret things belong to the Lord. So it's Christ is there, but he is not to be revealed yet. So that's why Abraham can't see him. Amen? He's he's in the dark about who Christ is. But the Bible says the smoking of... of well, let me see where it says. And he says unto Abraham, Know of a surety, your seed will be a stranger in the land that's not theirs. And all of these things, and, he, and they shall serve him, and they shall afflict him four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great abundance. And you shall go to your fathers in peace, buried in old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come out. So he explains everything about the nation of Israel. It has come, And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark. Okay. So I'm sorry, he didn't go to sleep. It was dark. A smoking furnace and a burning lamp. Smoking furnace is God the Father. Remember, he would show up in the cloud, he would show up in smoke and thick darkness. And the burning lamp is Christ, the light of the world. Amen? So they passed through those pieces. And then the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto your seed I have given this land. I have given. I have given. I have given. It's theirs. They just need to possess it. I think Israel has finally gotten smart and started fighting for the land that God gave them. You know, they wake up. People wake up little by little. (laughs) Amen. And so he tells them that that's exactly what has happened. Abraham takes God at his word again. And Sarah convinces him that she's not to be the mother, but the servant is. We know the story about Hagar. Abraham. God just told Abraham. A child will come from your body. Abraham says. Cool. I'll do that. And so here with Sarah's. The idea was planted in Sarah's head. That he should sleep with this servant girl. And she would be the mother. And instead of Isaac. She has Ishmael. And so. God then also has to promise to Ishmael, amen, because Ishmael is, is in covenant with his, God is in covenant with Ishmael's father. God takes care of all his seed. If he said Abraham's seed would be multiples, it means all of them. Even the promised ones and the not so promised ones. Huh? The misbehaving children and the behaving children got to eat too and he says Sarah put her out of the house God told Abraham told Sarah we'll do what you want to do with it because tension broke out they couldn't stay under the same roof she cast her out she was pregnant the angel provided for her while she was out in the desert and he told her verse 9 return to your mistress submit yourself to her hands And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your seed exceedingly. It shall not be numbered for multitude. So all Abraham's seed get the same promise. Abraham, uh, the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child. Bear a son, call him Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Ishmael means God hears. He will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man. So the... The Muslim nation is who they are now in this day. And you can see this coming to pass. You see every promise God made to Israel come to pass too. When he said they would be led into captivity, all the curses of Deuteronomy 28 has come upon that nation. Yet a remnant is still saved. You got me? God isn't playing with his word. He didn't say that to Israel and say, Oh, yeah, well, you know, don't worry about it. I didn't really mean that. He means it. He means it. When uh, Mel Gibson made the Passion of the Christ, he was taking passages straight from the Bible. And when uh, when he quoted the scripture where the Jews said, May our children, that curse be upon us and our children for killing the Son of God, killing Messiah, they made him take that out of that dialogue in the movie. Because it was too true. You got me? too true. So compared to being not being able to be numbered for multitude, they are small in number compared to the way they used to be. People would go and, and see how many Jews they were and get scared by the mere numbers of people. That's why we have a book in the Bible called Numbers. Because it shows that God kept up with every single individual descendant of Abraham. He knows where they all are. He knows where they all were. (laughs) And he knew only a remnant would be saved. And that's what we have now in the the people now in Israel. We have that remnant people who are living in the dispensation where all men can be saved.